Isn't it awesome what's happening in Cambodia? It blows my mind to think that, you know, all those, I've got to pinch myself all the time because I look at those little kids, they're fresh-faced, they're in their beautiful blue uniforms, and you've got to remember where they come from. Rubbish dumps, literal cesspools of mud and filth, and they live on that, and they live off that, and see the transformation that's happening, it's beautiful. Awesome. Matthew 7 is our text today. I got given a, um, a lotto ticket the other day. Yeah, it's the first time I've, ever, I've never had a lotto ticket before. And I got given a slick pick. And I'm looking, I don't know what to do with it. I, what do you do with it? It's got all these numbers on it. Is it like bingo? What, how do you... And the, I had to, had to have this all explained to me. You know, there's 25 games. There's 25 games in there. You've got 25 opportunities to win millions of dollars. I'm like, oh, I started to get excited. And so I didn't know how to process this, but, you know, Saturday came and so I got my daughter. I said, can you find out how much I've won? So she goes online and she goes, nothing. Oh, what a waste of time. Do you know the probability of winning first prize pool? The, was it Division A or Division 1 or something? What? Four people won a million dollars. Well, you know, the probability of winning that first, first division uh, if you, you know, consistently invest, you'll get there in about 2,000 years, apparently. So you've got to pass it on. You know, it's a legacy. <laughs> Keep buying those tickets. We often um, like the idea, you know, people, when somebody wins down at the local, uh, you know, news agent, everyone rushes down there to buy tickets down there, as if there'll be another one there or something. I don't know. They think it's good luck. I want to talk a bit about luck today and, uh, and fate. Fate and faith. We use this phrase, good luck. Touch wood, cross fingers. Yeah? You want to say that? Well, you know, uh, I guess it was meant to be, is another thing we say. Everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? Does it? It must be fate. In every day, millions of people around the world consult their horoscopes. I don't know how a guy in solitary confinement who reads that his relationships are looking up today, how he processes that. But they do that, you know, they, uh, they go through religious rituals and carry rabbit's feet that weren't all that lucky for the rabbit. They feng shui their houses and their businesses. They consult the tarot and the clairvoyance and the psychics and they roll the dice and they cross their fingers and they avoid walking under ladders. And, uh, you know, they don't open umbrellas inside and various other OCDs we do just so that we keep this thing called good luck going in our life. We don't want any bad luck. I saw, I saw this um, sign recently, I think we've got it up here, about psychics. Media team, wake up. We've got a sign up there, there it is. Psychic fair cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. They should have seen that coming, eh? Obviously not very good psychics. I don't know why they're all not multi-billionaires. I think because it's a ruse, don't you? The hope is that somehow we can manipulate fate, that we can secure luck for ourselves to change the winds of fate in our favor, control our destiny, 
uh, you know, bring prosperity, avoid pain and struggle. And we like this idea of uh, somehow we could, uh, you know, change our fate. The idea of fate is kind of worldwide. You, you know, uh, I was looking it up because I knew fate comes from Greek mythology, but um, it's also all over the place. There's European ideas and stories and narratives about this concept of fate. The Greek mythology uh, story is the fates or the morai were three goddesses. I think we've got a photo there. Three goddesses. There was um, Clotho and there was uh, Lachesia and Anthropos. And these three ladies, were, you know, they had this thread. It was the thread of life. And, and so Clotho was supposedly, she, she spun the thread of human life, you know. And at three, years, uh, three, years, uh, three days old, a child was supposedly spun this thread of life for them that was going to determine their destiny and their fate. Lachesia, uh, Lachesis uh, measured it out and determined the destiny or the, the things that would happen. You know, she was said to release the furies that would go and, you know, torment people and cause them to reap what they sowed. And Antropos was the one who cut the thread and determined how you would die and uh, the death of mortals. And the conclusion was that life, with all its circumstances and, and uh, all of its, uh, you know, struggles and so on, has all been predetermined somehow from the gods. It's all out of your control. You just whatever happens to you, that's your fate. And so when someone is fatalistic, they are resigned to the idea that nothing's going to change. Yeah? This is the way it is. I can't really change. This is my fate. Fatalism. They believe it's out of their control unless they get some good luck. Psychologists believe that the idea of fate is attractive to us because it takes away our responsibility. You know, we don't have to worry about uh, making decisions and navigating. It's just my fate. Whatever your case sera, sera, whatever may be, will be. You know, say la vie. It's all out of my control. I don't have any responsibility. I don't have to uh, deal with the hard questions in life. I can avoid decision making uh, on issues where I'm anxious about. Oh, it's a fate. It's like we have this deep, dark well where we can just throw all the hard stuff in. It's fate. We could call it an ah well, couldn't we? Ah well. Is that a bad pun? Ah well. It's me, ah well. I'll throw it in the ah well. Ah well, I guess it just must be. Ah well, there's nothing we can do about it. It's just fate. Ah well, it's a good deed. You know, no good deed goes unpunished. Ah well, that's just the way I am. Get that one. I get that one a lot lately. You know, I'm just, this is the way I am. It's like, you, what, you're never going to change? <laughs> That's it. I am the way I am. You just have to put up with it. It's like we can just relax and become victims of life. I think that's the idea. We can become victims of life rather than be responsible for our lives. So how does this compare with the Bible or God's perspective on life? Does God micromanage the universe to that extent where every single thing that happens is God just, the, you know, the cosmic puppet master messing with us? Is it all predetermined? And we can read scriptures like Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. And you, can, uh, you think about Pharaoh in the Old Testament, the, in the king of Egypt. And uh, 
you know, the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he would not let the children of Israel go because he wanted to display his miraculous signs in them. In. Or Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It's like, you know, too bad, Jeremiah, that's your... That's what you're going to do. Everything's been mapped out. The whole thing, everything that's going to happen in your life has all been written down, spun by the, the ladies of fate. Or you think about Job, you know, who seemed, seemed like a good guy, and all of a sudden his whole wife, life just gets nuked, and uh, he loses his children, his livelihood, his families, everything's gone, broken. And this was all just this cosmic conspiracy that was going on. See, these suggest that God does whatever he pleases and, you know, we can't resist. His will is sovereign and, you know, we, you can do whatever you want, but God will, will, will do whatever he wants and he will manipulate your mind and, he, you know, he's created some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven. This is, you know, the human will is ir- irrelevant and ultimately non-existent before the sovereign Lord. However... I think there's a paradox here because, you know, God is sovereign. But Jesus' words we're going to read in Matthew chapter 7 give us a parallel understanding to this. Let's read it from verse 24. Now, just to give you the context, uh, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has given this whole sermon, uh, this whole message about life and about faith and about how to live your life and how to, how to do, what to do with money and what to do in relationships and what marriage is and, what, and all of these different things. You can read about it in 5, 6 and... And the, the, the first part of seven there. And so in the conclusion of this, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice... It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its crash. Here's Jesus saying, you know what? Your, your destiny or the outcome of your life is going to be determined by your choices. Yeah, Rather than fate, it's going to be determined by what you build your life on. What materials you use. That, that your choice has validity in your destiny. That life will happen to us, but we don't have to let it run us. Your parents might have been wicked and cruel and neglectful. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to repeat their folly. Your family may be Christian, but you yourself have to choose, yeah? God has no grandchildren, they say. Think about the fate of humanity. The Bible tells us that the history of man's relationship with God is here he creates the universe and it's perfect. And then the the crowning pinnacle of his creation is creating man and woman. Creatures who he can have an intelligent relationship with. Creatures with will, with a choice. Unlike animals, God created us to have intelligent relationship with us. God can speak to us. We can hear his voice. We can speak to him. 
We're given the capacity to, to decide, to evaluate, and to make choices in life, yeah? And this act of human willfulness was, uh, was manifest in this choice to decide to rebel against God and take what, it, what, what he said was forbidden. He put that choice factor right there in the middle of the garden. He put a plant in the tree and said, that tree is out of bounds. But the, he still gave them the choice, didn't he? He didn't put a razor wire fence around it, electrify it, out of bounds. He gave them the opportunity to rebel. And humanity has been rebelling ever since. We've kept up the, uh, the custom. Generation after generation, the Bible says that sin infected humanity with death, both in its process, working out in our lives, and its outcome that ultimately everybody dies. The result is that we destroy ourselves and each other because of sin, because of the choices of sin in our lives. And then God introduces, he says, okay, we've got a plan of redemption. I'm just going to wipe it all out. We've got a plan of redemption. We see that in Jesus Christ as Dan talked about this morning. So in Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible talks about humanity and it says this, the, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became darkened. So man gets stuck in this fate of sin and death unless something changes. And each generation perpetuates our condition. Each person chooses to follow their own temptations. James tells us this in 1 and verse 14. Each one is tempted by his own evil desire. Uh, sorry, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And this is our fatal attraction, isn't it? Sin. So now enters Jesus into humanity, yeah? Emmanuel, God with us. And he lives a righteous and pure life, and he says no to sin. The Bible says he was tempted on all parts, just like you and I are. But yet he lived his life sinless. And he went to the cross and gave his life as a sinless sacrifice for us that we could receive his righteousness by faith. Here's where fate gets turned. Isn't that right? He suffered the sin of others in rejection and hate and torture and murder. And yet it was his gift to us to take sin upon himself and exchange it for his righteousness. He resigned himself to the fate of humanity. Yeah, But he overcame sin and death through his sacrifice. So now you and I, this is the liberty, is that you and I can choose to build right. We can choose to build something good, something honorable, something praiseworthy to God. And we see it's in Jesus' teachings. Remember Jesus in this text we just read, Matthew chapter 7. He says, Whoever hears these sayings or these teachings of mine and then takes them and begins to apply them to their life or put them into practice, that person will be like a man who builds his house on a rock, something strong. Amen. So here we move from fate to faith. Fate suggests we are powerless victims of life. Whenever we say, 
I can't help it. It's just the way I am. We are affirming ourselves and our belief in fate. We are inferring that we are victims and we are shrinking from life's responsibilities. If we're victims, then we deserve to be excused. If we're victims, we deserve to be helped. I'm a victim. We need compensation. So the text says, build our lives wrong or on poor foundations. There'll be an outcome from that. The storm and the destruction that comes. And then, you know, what happens is the storm of destruction comes after we build our house on the sand. We go, I'm in a victim. My house got blown down. It's not fair. And we avoid the fact of our responsibility to decide and to choose how we build our lives. You know, sometimes people drive, you know, know, we say we drive according to the conditions. I found out that, you know, that little, the sign, the yellow sign with a black circle with a line through it. You know what that means? It means drive according to the conditions. There's no defined speed limit, but just use your brain. I think that's what it's really saying. Just use your head and don't drive like a madman if it's a windy road. Because you might have an accident. And then you'll have an accident and go, I'm a victim. You make poor choices in relationships and suffer the pain out of that. I'm a victim. It's not fair. It's strange. Humans are the only ones who, you know, cl- you know, get indignant about life's problems and circumstances, aren't we? Humans are the only ones. All the other creatures, you know, we, they suffer stuff. They just, you know, my dog, he's getting old. He sits in the corner and groans all day. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a machine or something. <laughs> Laying on the, you know, he just moves from different places. He's about 12 years old now. I don't know. What's that in dog years? 70, 80, 80-something. 80 and he just lays around the house and... Poor old Albert. But he's, you don't see him sitting there going, whoa, it's me. That's not fair. Life's so hard. He just suffers. He doesn't. It's only humans who get indignant at life's circumstances. As Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled, a classic book, um, he argues that all of the human race is mentally ill. All of us. And this is his reasoning. That life is full of problems and pain and suffering and then you die. Have you noticed that? Life is full of pain and problems and suffering and then you die. However, humans don't like that idea. So when life happens to us, we get upset about it as if it shouldn't have happened. When things go wrong, we get angry and indignant as if, you know, this shouldn't happen to me. But life is full of pain and problems and suffering and, 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 and difficulties. Why should you be exempt? He says, that's mentally ill. We're denying, it. We're denying reality. This is a morbid sermon, isn't it? <laughs> eh? Great. What did you learn today? Yeah, we're all going to die. That's what I learned today. And we're going to suffer on the way. So the Bible teaches us, doesn't it? It doesn't leave us in delusions that life is painful and problematic. And that, you know, this is the reason why you ought to build your house on a rock. Because life involves storms, doesn't it? You know, notice Jesus doesn't say, whoever hears these sayings of mine puts them into practice. There's a wise man who just, I put over there and I wrap him in cotton wool and nothing ever happens to him. He says, no, the same storms hit these two different guys. One built his house right, one didn't. 
That's our responsibility, isn't it? That we should prepare, that we should build good foundations. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes they build things a little quickly up there in China. And uh, I saw this image. It's a, that's a high-rise building. Now, I'm not sure whether the builders got it wrong. <laughs> Just built it on its side there, like, you know, oh, oh it goes that way. You know. But I, I hear the story was that they decided they were going to put in an underground car park after they built the building. So obviously some foundational issues. Storms come. Whether you build right or not, storms will come. They'll shake your world. They're frightening. And they buffet your life. Anyone had some storms lately? We live in Dawesville. It's kind of windy down there. We had 100 mils of rain the other night. When was that, Chris, last night or something? Uh, you know, my, my neighbours often, their fences get ripped up. You know, my, well, one of my new neighbours, he just put in his fence. The next day, <laughs> the wind blew it over and twisted and broke it up. Shoot an Owen. He's not a victim. He's not a victim. I built my fence right. I thought, this is windy around here. Does that sound unkind, does it? Two doors up, the, guy, the neighbor's roof got ripped off just a couple of weeks back. I thought, what's all that mess on the road? It's his roof. You think, I don't want to live in Dawesville. <laughs> but you know, you live there, you've got to live according to the conditions. When I build, I'm not a builder, but I build stuff, I fret all night when the first storm comes. I'm sitting there, well, is he going to stay up? I built a pergola and I thought, is he going to stay up? Stayed up. I built it right. Despite the chippies telling me that's those are too far apart. It gets breezy. Amen. Let me wrap it up this morning. Faith overcomes fate. We get freed from sin and death. Isn't that good? Sin and death is our fate because we're humans. We're born into sin. But the beauty of Jesus Christ is faith in Christ can set us free from sin and death. Here's Romans 1 and 8 and verse 1. It's a beautiful text. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in me, lighten me up, sets me free from the law of sin and death. That law of sin and death controlled my life. It was my fate. I was stuck in it. There was nothing I could do until I put my faith in Jesus and invited the Holy Spirit into my life. And the Holy Spirit lit me up and gave me strength to overcome, and I'm still in the process, overcome sin and death. How good is that? Fate or faith? Why is that, you know? Faith overcomes faith because faith is not passive. Faith is a verb. It's a doing word. It's an action word. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Jesus says you have faith like a mustard seed. You can say to a mountain, be plucked up and thrown into the ocean. Now, I don't know anyone who's done that. But, uh, maybe Newman, they did that in Newman. Because it used to be Mount Newman. Faith is not passive. Faith like a seed, like a little seed can grow and move mountains. Faith refuses to say, I can't. It's just the way I am. How does this work? In our text, we read, we literally need to build our lives on God's Word. 
Here's the difference. is One man says, you know what? Sand's good enough for me. I'm going to build my life on the sand. Another person says, no, I've got to build on a rock. And the only rock that really is going to stand any, any, any length of time is God's Word. Jesus' sayings, His teachings. And what did He teach us? He taught us how to live, how to, how to think, how to approach life, how to approach relationships, what to do with money, what to do with, uh, you know, in our jobs and our lives, and what to do with anxiety. It's all there in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful thing. He says, if you'll take this, and by faith, begin to really put that into practice in your life. Faith opens the door for an omnipotent God to work in your circumstances. Because it's not me that moves mountains, is it? It's God who can move mountains. It's God who can flick planets around like peas on a dinner plate. His hand spans the universe. And so faith connects me. Not, it's, it's not faith in my faith. It's faith connects me to a God who can overcome the place of law, the law of sin and death at work in my life. So we learn to trust. We learn to trust God in our circumstances and over our circumstances. As we embrace Jesus' values and His priorities and we put them into our lives. So you know what? My family is going to be based on these principles as we seek and we believe for overcoming power. Amen. Let me just close with this verse. I haven't got it up here on the screen, but, but listen to the words. It's talking about um, the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. And uh, it's in Hebrews 11. It's called the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. And so it talks about all these great heroes that we've read about in the Bible. And in the conclusion... The writer says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women who received their dead raised to life again. There are others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might get an even uh, better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received ultimately what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Isn't it an awesome testimony? It's the testimony of faith. When you and I embrace the concept of faith, the faith that can overcome our fate. It can overcome my personality problems. It can overcome my difficulties. It can overcome my circumstances. It can take me through the dark night. It can help me to be strong in the midst of persecution. It can help me to be bold and joyful when there's, when there's sadness and brokenness all around me. That's what faith can do. We can choose it. And here's this wonderful legacy. It talks about conquering kingdoms and, and uh, you know, res the resurrection life that's happening. Powerful in battle. And then others who said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to deny Him. Remember that girl in, uh, I think it was Columbine, USA? Uh, you know, that massacre. I can't remember what her name was. 
but there's a little book that says, She Said Yes. And this gunman who, you know, went to this high school and he's shooting people indiscriminately and he went to this girl and he said, Are you a Christian? And she said, Yes. And next moment she was in the presence of Jesus. Violence took her there, but faith really took her there. Amen. And she stood and she made a statement. She's a teenager. Praise God. And she'd made up her mind long before that moment that fate wasn't going to direct her. It wasn't, you know, status quo and what's happening around her that's going to determine her life. Her life is determined by faith in Christ. And she said, yes. What will you say this morning? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And I want to give an opportunity just out of this message to invite those who who don't know this overcoming God, this powerful, awesome God who can break the chains of fate and the chains of brokenness in our lives. His name is Jesus. I've come to believe in Him. Like Dan said this morning, I've become convinced. I've become convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father God except through Him.